Weston, could you switch me over, please? Thank you. Awesome. All right. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm excited that next week we can all sing as loud as we want to. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Still need to wear masks for now. I'm hoping that, uh, we're all hoping, I think, that, uh, you know, they're saying by the end of March, a lot of the restrictions will be lifted and hoping that's among them, but uh, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, next week. So if you're watching online and you've been holding off coming because you just want to sing, next week is your week. Good, good. Well, we are on week three of our series, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And uh, and this is, I've said before, and I I believe that this is a, a very significant discipleship series, discipleship journey that we're going on together, an eight week journey of, uh, of, looking below, beneath the surface in our, in our lives, in our hearts. Sometimes our discipleship or our growth, spiritual growth, can be, can be relatively um, shallow, right? We want to change the things that people see, but we're not so sure we want the, the spotlight to go too much deeper than that sometimes. And uh, the subtitle of this book that we're, that we're using as, uh, as a tool these weeks uh, and, and heard great things about some of the conversations in our connect groups as well and encourage you to, to plug into one of those uh, to get the most out of this. Um, but it is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Um, because sometimes we, we, let, we let the Scriptures into our head, right? We, we, hear, the, we hear the teachings, we read the Bible, we, we let it into our head, but if we don't let it, you know, as, as some preachers have said, make that 18-inch journey, might be smaller for some of us, um, from here to our hearts, to our... To, to, uh, you know, our choices and our attitudes, then, then it really hasn't availed much. It hasn't accomplished much in our lives. Um, so week one, we stated the concern about emotionally unhealthy spirituality and talked about the 10 symptoms. And last week, we looked at the first of seven suggested solutions. Last week was Know yourself that you may know God. In other words, be self-aware, right? Know where the, the, the challenges, the issues, know where you're stuck. Um, and today we're, looking, we're talking about going back to go forward. Going back to go forward. Um, another way of, of saying that is breaking the power of the past. Breaking the power of the past. 
How many of you know that the Bible says, um, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Right? You've heard that scripture from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. I'll say it again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. And yet, uh, how many also know that there are still times that things we thought were long in our past, whether it's a sin issue that returns with a vengeance or a painful experience we thought we'd never have to think about again or a pattern of brokenness in our family that seems to be repeating again and again in our lives. You know, we, we vowed we'd never, um, we'd never do that to our kids, and yet we struggle with those things that seem to come back, right? And, and, and we struggle with reconciling the old has gone and the new has come, but the old still seems to nip at our heels, still seems to hold weight in our lives sometimes. We may wonder if it's helpful or, even, or wise or even theologically, theologically appropriate to dig into our past if the Bible says all things are made new in Christ. And oftentimes, people have quoted this verse to say, oh, just forget about it. You don't need to think about those things. Just keep moving forward. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Right? Just keep moving forward. Um, and that sounds really easy, sounds great, sounds like a good fix, you know, just quote a, quote a Bible verse and we can just move on. But I can tell you from hundreds of hours of pastoral counseling, that doesn't work that way. You can't just quote a verse and keep moving. It doesn't work that way. And so today we're going we're gonna to look at three areas we're going to touch down, and, and there are more than we can de could deal with today than three, and each of these three could easily be a message or even a series of messages on their own, but we're going we're gonna to cruise through this, and we're going to touch down on three different areas where we need to take a look at the past in order to move forward, and the first of those, and, and we're also going to look at some tools that will help us with doing that. Um, yeah, I meant to put that up there, but here we go. The first is our family of origin. Family of origin. We'd often like to think that, that our family of origin doesn't really affect us that much and that we can just, you know, start fresh as if there's no lasting imprint from our first family. Um, like to think, for example, that, that, you know, if, if, you get, if you've gotten married in, at some point in your life, that you could just, uh, you know, you're just starting a new family and all that's behind me. I'm just, we're going to start a new family. It's all going to be fresh. It's all going to be new. And none of that will affect me. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. For those of us who'd, who've lived it. Um, but we see, soon find out that, that um, 
you know, indeed our family of origin did make a deep imprint off on us that still affects us and that our spouse isn't just marrying us, but they're marrying all of the baggage, for better or worse, from our first family, right? It's a reality. Uh, Pam and I uh, found this out before, you know, in the months before we were even married, we discovered little bits of this. Uh, about f- four months, we were in Bible college at the time, engaged, and uh, we had a, a really great uh, counselor that was on staff at the college doing our premarital counseling with us, and, and uh, very blessed with that. But um, we, about four months before we were to be married, um, we, we hit some, some turbulence. Um, and and we, were, we were finding ourselves, you know, arguing about little things and, you know, dealing with stuff and as, as couples do. But we, we just didn't understand what was happening, right? Like, um, we'd get into a disagreement and Pam's, um, Pam's volume would raise. I know you can't imagine that. And, and my... I would shut down and disappear and, and, and we'd be, we just, we couldn't resolve things. We're like, what's going on, right? And, and as our, the guy that was working with us, you know, he asked us about our first family. And we discovered that in Pam's family, when they had conflict, there would be a, you know, a bit of a loud debate, shouting match that would last for 10 minutes. Everything would be, you know, out laid out there and resolved, and they'd move on. And in my family, um, there was silent treatment. My father would go silent for days on end, and everybody's going, who did it? Who, like, who did what? Like, what's, what's going on? And, and there'd be this awkward, you know, everything swept under the rug, awkward quietness for a couple days, and then it would just kind of blow over, and we'd move on and nothing got resolved, right? And, and so we're both just not understanding what's happening, and he helped us to understand that we came from different worlds, and we had to figure out how are we going to function in our family, in our lives together. And we're still figuring it out, but, you know. Um, but, but, but we had some tools to help us with that. Well, at least three times in the Torah, in the first five books of the, of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the law, it's called, God says something like these words that are found in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. This is, Moses had asked to, to, to see the glory of God. And so God said, okay, I can't, sh- I can't show you my face because it'll kill you. But here's what I'll do. I'll tuck you in a little cave in the rock, and I'll pass by. I'll cover your eyes, and when I'm past, you can look at my back. Kind of interesting. But as, as God, Yahweh, the I am, right, as he passed by, 
It says here in verse 6 of Exodus 34, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed. Yahweh passed by in front of him and proclaimed. Yahweh, Yahweh God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Okay? Interesting. What God is doing there, this is part of His... He's declaring His identity and how it relates to humanity. And God, the first thing He says of Himself is that He is gracious and kind and forgives. But He's also just. What He's not saying here, this is not a threat. God is simply stating spiritual realities and truths. Okay? It says that God forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sins. Those are not synonyms. They're all different things. Okay? Iniquity is the, the, the twisted, bent thing inside of us that wants to sin. Iniquity is the propensity, the the. the our bent towards sin, and particularly our, in our own lives, our bent towards a specific kind of sin. We all have different things that we struggle with, right? And some of those things are caused by the environment we grew up in and so on. We'll get to that in a moment. That's, that's our iniquity. Transgressions is like when you break the law. It's our actual act of breaking the law. And sin, in this language, is talking about missing the mark. Here's God's holiness. Here's what He expects. And we miss the mark. And God says, I'm one who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sins. Wow. But there's a spiritual principle at work here where the iniquity of the fathers, the, the twisted, bent propensity towards specific sin in the fathers is visited upon the next three to four generations. That the things that you have struggled with in your life, some of them have been handed down to you from the generations that have gone before. That's what this is saying, that, that there is literally, this is, this is not God saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you for your parents' sin. That's not what he's saying. It's saying your parents' sin has deeply imprinted on your life, and it needs to be dealt with. Okay? Let's, let's look at some practical examples in Scripture. Um. <clears throat> the uh, Abraham 
Do you remember the story? He lied about who Sarah was. Right? Twice. He lied to uh, Pharaoh and he lied to um, Abimelech. He lied twice. And uh, what happened in the next generation, Isaac did the exact same thing. He lied about who his wife was. Exact same thing. Um, Jacob lied to just about everybody. He was, he was a deceiver. That was how he got ahead in the world. Jacob was a deceiver. Where did he get that from? It was passed down from his grandfather and his father. Right? Um, and all of Jacob's children lied about Joseph's death, faking a funeral and keeping a, sec- a family secret for like 10 years. And we see this generational pattern of the same thing cropping its head up again and again. We see Abraham favoring Isaac and sending Ishmael away. What happens in the next generation? Isaac favors Esau and Rebekah favors Jacob. And we've got this terrible dynamic of favoritism going on in the family again. And then Jacob favors Joseph and Benjamin over all of his, their brothers. And this pattern of favoritism. God's showing us something by showing these patterns going on in the book of Genesis. And we could go on. And so, our family of origin can have an influence on us in many ways. Here are just, just four of them. Spiritual influences. Um, you know, if, if, you're, if your generations before you were involved in some kind of, uh, you know, spiritism or witchcraft or, you know, those kinds of things, if they were involved in Freemasonry, if they were involved in some kind of spiritual, negative spiritual uh, behavior, it can have a lasting impact on the family. Um, unrepented sin can have a lasting impact on the family. Uh, relational patterns, not dealing well with conflict or, or you know, favoritism and, and those kinds of things can have a lasting impact over generations in a family. Addiction. Just a few examples. And in the book, there's a, a tool that's given... Um, a little, little diagram, and he talks a little bit about it. I've done these myself. I've done them with other people. It's not, it's not Bible, but it's a good tool. It's called a genogram. And it's just a family tree, but taking a look at your family tree and say, what are some of the things that, that I can identify in my family that have been issues? Spiritual things, unrepented sin issues, relational patterns, addictions. What are some of these things that I can identify that need to be dealt with? Folks, they can be broken. You can break the chain of those things going down through the generations, but you have to be aware of them. 
The devil is a legalist. And anywhere he can get a legal foothold or toehold in your life, he will. And so we need to close the door on those things. What, that's what this is about, is evicting the enemy from influence he has in our lives because of the ways that the door has been opened either by ourselves or by our, by our ancestors. And just closing those doors and applying the power of the blood of Jesus to those areas in our lives, it can be broken like that, but we need to be aware of it and apply what Jesus has done to our whole lives. Folks, we have been given authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and all the works of the enemy. This is not something to be afraid of. This is something to walk in authority in. Amen? Second thing, past pain and trauma. Here are some things, some actual things that I have dealt with in people's lives and ministered into people's lives over the years. Just a, just a quick list of things in the lives of people who love Jesus and want to live for Jesus, and yet they've sat in my office and shared unburdened themselves about alcoholic and abusive parents in their lives, with violence, trauma from a car accident or a house fire, trauma from sexual abuse, their own sexual perversion, pornography addiction, psychological or emotional abuse in their family, witnessing violent murder at a young age, abandonment or neglect, parents' divorce, their own divorce, the foster care system, guilt over having had an abortion, drug addiction, and that's just a quick list of things that I've had the, I've had the privilege of being invited into their hearts and into their lives to help them discover that there is freedom from the wounds of these things and what they've left on their lives. And in all of these cases, the person sitting in my office truly loved Jesus and had no desire to wallow in the past, but they were stuck and they needed help getting free. In many of the cases, the people were, um, who were still affected by these things, particularly because they hadn't been willing to go, to the, to go back in order to go forward. They'd been avoiding going back or they've had people tell them, just keep swimming, just keep moving forward. All things are new. You don't have to look back there. But once they did and they were taught how to bring the power of the cross of Christ to bear on those things in the past, they were able to find freedom and break free of those things and move forward in a healthy way. And rather than be a part of the story that defined them, it could now be part of the story of victory in their life. 
Amen? Hebrews 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. There are sins that trip us up and entangle us and cause us to be held back. But the writer of Hebrews here tells us that there are also other things that are not sins, but they are things that hinder. And I would suggest to you this is one of those things that hinder, that can be thrown off. In case you wonder if there is biblical support for God doing this healing in our lives and in our hearts. Let me give you a couple quick scriptures. Psalm 34 verse 18. Psalm 34 verse 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 147 verse 3. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Jesus is into healing the wounds of our hearts. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners. We would never say to someone that they don't need to bring a particular sin from their past to Jesus that is haunting them and deal with it so they can move forward. We would say, let's revisit it, repent of it, receive forgiveness, and move on. Right? We revisit not to wallow or become obsessed with it, but simply to intentionally bring it to Jesus and receive the freedom that is waiting for us. When we deal with a wound or a trauma from the past, this is the same goal, not to get bogged down or wallow in what happened, but to bring it to Jesus so that the pain, the shame, and the trauma of that moment can be touched by Jesus and the healing we need can be received And then in faith, we move forward into the wholeness that Jesus has for us. We may have very well locked this thing away in a room in our hearts. And although we've surrendered much of our life to Jesus, we haven't given him the key to that room yet. Right? We've got it locked, bolted, and guarded. Nobody's getting in there. The work of the gospel working its way through our whole lives, doing its powerful work of transformation, is that we need to identify any room in the corner of our hearts where the light has not yet shone and bring the saving, healing power of Jesus to that room so that we can be free. We've seen many people set free of, of these kinds of things. And if, if, 
If there are, if there are things that you'd like to work through, we'd love to, to be a part of helping facilitate that. So don't wallow in the past. Identify, put off what you need to put off, put on what you need to put on, and move forward. All right? And thirdly this morning, roots and fruits. I've used this, this image of a tree many, many times over the years, and I find it super helpful. We're told, psychologists tell us, that, that in the first five to six years of our life, much of who we will be has already been established. Okay? That's, that's not... Again, going back to some things I said last, last week, that's not, that's not psychobabble, that's just reality, okay? Um, and many of those things are established by the messages that we have had spoken into our life, by parents, siblings, by the world, by our teachers, by our peers, by people of influence in our life. Words that have been spoken over us, spoken about us, that have, that have shaped the way that we think about ourselves, about others, and about God. And, uh, and, and so, you know, that might be, just, just to pick some examples, you know, ugly, stupid, lazy, worthless, no potential, overweight, we could go on and on with all kinds of messages that we may have received when we were young, that have shaped who we are. And the reality is those, the, those things become the roots out of which our life grows. And we build belief systems in our lives based on those messages that are still part of our root system if we haven't dealt with them. Okay? And, and so we, we come into life with anxiety, fear, insecurity, self-hatred, depression, all kinds of other things. And sometimes what happens is we, we look at the fruit of our lives and we, we may not like some of the fruit that's coming out of our lives. And so what we do is we say, I need to, I need to cut off the fruit. But then it grows back. I need to deal with the rage in my life, but then it grows back. I need to deal with the, the substance abuse or the, you know, whatever it is. This, this behavior that comes out of my life and I don't like it, I don't want it. But it is, the, it is the fruit of a belief system about ourselves, about others, and about God that has been established by our root system. And what happens is we have, um, sometimes the way this comes out in our lives is either by just, just evil behavior, just terrible behavior that we have towards other people. It comes out of anger, comes out of whatever. Or sometimes we overcompensate to put a mask on and pretend that everything's okay on the inside. And so we become overachievers, people pleasers, 
class clowns, risk takers, and we, we have these behaviors that are, that, that are the fruit of these faulty belief systems in our, in our hearts. But the roots of them go back to our childhood. So is there any hope, Pastor? There sure is. There sure is. Let's look at a different tree. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 to 19, Paul prays and says, And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, particularly the love of God, you being rooted and established in the love of God may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. When your roots are in the love of God, your life gets filled with who He is. And so what needs to happen is we need to recognize the roots, the messages that we believe, the messages that were spoken over us, the power of those messages that can be broken in the name of Jesus and, and pull up those roots, those things that we believed about ourselves, God, and others and replace them with the love of God. Receive the messages that God speaks over your life. Your heavenly Father has said some things about you. Before you were ever born, there were things that He declared over your life. And we can find many of them in the Scriptures. And we need to replace the lies of the enemy, the world, and the flesh with the truth of God. And when we replace the ungodly roots with the, the roots rooted in the love of God, it changes everything. In 1 John 4, verse 18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So, the reason why we have these faulty belief systems, we talked about anxiety and fear and depression and, um, and uh, insecurities and all these things is because, is partially because at least, uh, we don't know how truly loved we are by the Father. And we're left with insecurities about, am I good enough? Am I too broken? Can God really love me? But perfect love drives out all fear. And when we are rooted in who God says we are, then the fruit of our lives can be Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Some of us are maybe wondering sometimes, what, why is there not more fruit of the Spirit coming out of my life? 
Maybe there's some more roots that need to be pulled out and replaced with the truth. Isn't that powerful? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And let's stand here in the room. We don't want anyone to get bogged down in the past. The point of today's message and the point of chapter 3 in the book that we're, we're using is that for most of us to be truly free to move into our future, there are aspects of the past and how it still has a hold in us that we need to be aware of. But please listen to this. There is a reason why your car has a great big windshield and an itty-bitty little rearview mirror. Great big windshield, itty-bitty rearview mirror. That We don't need the bulk of our focus to be on where we've been. We need it to be on where we're going. Jesus has an amazing future for you and he wants to take you into that future. Yeah, there are times when you need to glimpse into that rearview mirror and see, see there are some stuff you're dragging behind you that needs to go. But if you tried to drive your car only looking at your rearview mirror, there would be disaster. Right? This is not about getting obsessed with our past. It's about moving into our future with hope and freedom and glancing at the rearview mirror when we need to see what's going on so we can just deal with it and move on. There is freedom for us, folks. And sometimes it can happen in a moment, in a prayer session, Sometimes it's a process where we need to do some looking inside and, and working through some things. But the blood of Jesus still sets people free, still, still breaks the power of sin, and still brings the healing power of the Spirit of God in our lives. So let me pray with you today. God, thank you. Thank you for all that you accomplished for us in Christ. Thank you that there is not just there's not just a, a forgiveness and healing that covers over our stuff temporarily till we get to heaven. But you actually want to see us healed and set free of those things. You want actual freedom, not pretend freedom. You want actual freedom in our lives. And so God, I pray in the name of Jesus, each of us would have the courage to go back so we can go forward. To take a look at some things that might be dragging us down so that we can get free and move forward. So God, thank you for the courage you've given us. Thank you for the, the hope that we have in Christ. 
And thank you for the healing and the life that is ours in the blood of Jesus. And we give you thanks. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. As we leave this morning, I'm just going to read a passage from Philippians 4. How many of you know that uh, God has an incredible plan?